This morning I have two portions of scripture uh, that I would like to share from. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 and John chapter 18. And if you can turn with me to John chapter 18 first, we'll start with there. By the way, how many of you remember Jesus' first miracle? Everybody knows Jesus' first miracle? What was it? At the, the wedding, you know, the water turning into the wine. What was Jesus' last miracle? How many of you remember his last miracle? The year. The year. The healing of uh, Peter's, I don't know, what got into Peter, but whatever. You know, he just knocked his ear off and Jesus healed the person's ear. Anyway, turn with me uh, to John chapter 18. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 11, and it's that story of Jesus' arrest. It's the account of Jesus' arrest in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the way John puts it, and uh, it's just after, you know, the Lord's Supper and all the teaching that, that's, that's happened there. And it's, 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 it's after that, but it's before this this almost horrendous cross that he's about to bear. So that's where we find the location of this. Thank you, Haley. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples. You understand this is happening in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we call it. He left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. Now, again, you got, if you know your geography of the, of the land, that's a, that's a common route. It's a common popular place. On the other side, there was his garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Verse 7, again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let this people go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The, man's, uh, the servant's name was Malchus. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And these few weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter, we're focusing, or I'm focusing more on the cross and the events that lead up to the cross. It's kind of interesting because this account is found in all four Gospels. You know, like the feeding of the 5,000, that's the one miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. This account is found in all four Gospels. Interestingly, only John mentions the name 
of the person who, or the servants, or the whatever soldier whose ear was cut off, Malchus. And it's kind of interesting, again, that only Luke is the one who mentions that Jesus healed that person's ear. And, of course, that being the last recorded miracle of Jesus in the Gospels. It's said, and Dr. Alan Redpath, who's a, a professor and a pastor from Chicago, he made this statement, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. Now that sounds harsh and cruel, but you need to understand that becoming like Christ is a painful process. Because it takes a lot of breaking, refining, that's fire, molding, that's been beaten out of shape basically, right? Crushing. In fact, A.W. Tozo, who's one of my favorite authors, he says, you know, if God is to use you, he's got to first hurt you. That sounds harsh, right? But the truth is this, and here is the truth, that it really takes people a long time to get serious about their faith in Christ. Because coming to know Christ, what we call conversion, is a moment. But to become a real disciple, that's a lifelong enterprise. It's a lifelong endeavor, and let me say this, not too many people are willing to commit to this. Conversion is that moment. It's just that moment where you accept, we know this, you know, you accept the Lord as your Savior. But discipleship is a lifelong commitment, and not too many people are willing to commit to it because they don't understand the cost it involves to follow Christ. And even fewer are willing, even fewer are willing to pay that price to follow him. And I've titled my sermon this morning from conversion to commitment. Because if you realize, if you read the Gospels, you realize that as Jesus preached, there were thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people who followed him. But how many of them were really committed to being disciples of Christ? In today's world, you can say, and I can say this, that there are many people who have experienced the conversion experience. It was that moment in time, and we use this phrase, you know, they accepted the Lord as their personal Savior. Yeah, and there are a lot of people, I believe, have experienced that moment. And the conversion experience is a valid experience, but what the Lord is looking for is true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth, not just someone who's willing to accept Him as their Savior. Some, of, some people say, well, can it really be two different things? It is two different things, because a lot of people are willing to do that first part. I know a lot of people who've made the decision to accept the Lord as their Savior, but I know a lot of people who've done that, but have not been willing to follow Him all the way. Jesus is not looking, or God is not looking for people who have just confessed Him. He's looking for people who are committed to following Him. 
There's a difference between the two. It's that desire. He's looking for people who are committed to following him to an extent where they desire to be transformed and conformed into the likeness of Christ. Where this desire, their desire is to do his will, not their own will. Nothing. Because when you desire that, nothing is self-focused. Because selfishness gets thrown out of the window because your desire is to do His will. And that desire drives your life. As you reflect on your life, on your walk with the Lord, would you say that's true for you too? That desire to do God's will drives my life. It's in that desire that the refining, the breaking, the molding, if you want to call it the crushing, really happens. Because it's not mine. It's not about me anymore. As I was thinking about this, I realized that this breaking and refining is not so that we will know Him. God is not going to break someone so that we come to Him and realize, oh, okay, this is God. The refining, the breaking, or the crushing is not so that we know Him. The refining is for us who know Him to become more like Him. Let me say that again. The breaking isn't for us to know Him. The breaking is for us who know Him so that we will become more like Him. That's what discipleship is all about. Again, just because we accepted Jesus as our Savior and we are now part of God's family, it doesn't automatically make us disciples. Because it does not mean that Jesus, because discipleship basically means, if you want to put it down, that He is Lord over our lives. Now that's not going to happen in its entirety on this side of eternity, let me say that. You can't be a disciple and have it all figured out because we are lifelong disciples. Lifelong disciples, listen to me church, just because you accept Jesus Christ doesn't automatically make you a disciple. The journey of discipleship is this. The goal of discipleship is this. It's making Christ the Lord of my whole life. And let me say this to you today. That process of making Him Lord of your life is painful. Yet it is something we choose to do with the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within each one of us. I know, you know, as spiritual Christians, we, and I know this for a fact, because I've met so many people, spiritual Christians, many of them reject the idea of breaking that's happening in our lives. That God wants to break us? I mean, why? And we reject that idea because all of us want the fun-filled mountaintop experience, you know, these ecstatic experiences, and we want that. But the truth is this, that God cannot use you till He has broken you because when you have you in you, He can't use you. If God is going to use you, church, He's got to first break you. And let me make this statement and I encourage you to engage with this through the week. If you want to be effective in the kingdom of God, you need to be broken. 
because it's a broken and a contrite spirit that God really desires. You have to allow yourself to be broken. You have to allow yourself to be crushed. And let me tell you this, the breaking and the crushing never stops. Now half of you or most of you are like, man, what's the point of following Christ, right? Again, let me say this. This transformation into Christ's likeness is a process that lasts us our entire lifetime. It is a process. As someone said, I become a real disciple when my love for Christ is more than my love for my wife and my children. I become a real disciple when my goal is to please Him more than it is to please my parents or someone else's expectations. I become a real disciple when I submit myself to His will and not my own. Because it involves an unwillingness to pursue my own stuff but a willingness to pursue His stuff, Amen. His ways to please Him. I want to turn to Luke 9, 22 to 24, probably the most clear, you can never get a clearer picture of, of what it means to be a disciple. And Because this is, Something, like I said, most of us know and have probably memorized since the time we came out of our mother's wombs, but it's something we need to consider every day. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. He said, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Again, you've got to get the context first here. In the context here, Jesus is alone with his disciples. He's been, you know, uh, with and hanging out with these disciples for a few years, months if not, months and years that he's been there. And now he's alone with them and he asks them the question. If you look at the context, he asks them the question, hey, who do people say I am? And of course, Peter, always being the spokesperson, answers, well, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're John the Baptist, you know. And then, of course, Jesus asks the pointed question, who do you say I am? And then there's that confession, you are the Christ. Right? And then of course Jesus says, hey, you got this, now just keep it quiet. And we can talk about that, it's a whole other topic, totally. But that's the context in which he says that. You know, there's this declaration. Peter is like, you are the Messiah. And this is, you know, you can, I can picture Peter as enthusiastic as he is, that he's got this moment, I'm the Messiah. I mean, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus just kind of brings him right down and he says, you know what? Yes, I am the Messiah, but the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. Read about that. That's breaking really that's happening right there, right? Because this breaking in Jesus' own life involved, in this case, rejection by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and ultimately leads to his death. But it doesn't stop there. It leads us to the resurrection after three days. And now you've got to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Because Peter's just made this exuberant uh, exclamation, you are the Christ, and everybody else shouts, Amen! And then Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to die. Think about it. What do you think Judas was thinking at that moment of time? You know, because you know his heart is not right. He's only in it probably for the money that he probably gets. He's in it for the popularity because Jesus is getting popular, you know, and he hangs out with Jesus. He's in Jesus' inner circle, you know, he's in it for that for sure. And of course, 
If you think about Judas, he's in it for what? When the Messiah comes, you know, I want to be the main treasurer of the kingdom of God, right? And he's hearing something like this, you're going to be rejected, you know, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer. And he's like, no, and I'm thinking the disciples have the same idea. No, we don't want suffering. In fact, we know what Peter says in another instance. He tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, you need to quit talking like that. Basically telling Jesus to shut up. Don't say that anymore. But we know what Jesus tells Peter. He rebukes him and says what? Get behind me, Satan. The concept of suffering as a disciple of Christ is so foreign to our lives as Christians in the 21st century. It baffles me. Because suffering as a disciple is so much more in this word of God that we don't relate with that enough. Why should I follow Christ, right? If it's all about so dull and suffering and everything else. Hang with me, please. Imagine how confused, how discouraged, you know, the disciples are. And I can imagine why, why people are discouraged too if you tell them this is what it means to follow Christ. Don't say that, Jesus. But he says, I have to suffer, I have to die, but on the third day, I will rise again. And then he says the most clear statement as that you'll find in the word of God of what it means to be a discipleship, and he, uh, to be a disciple. And he says what? If, he says, whoever, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Give me another definition, find me, or show me another definition of what it means to follow Christ in the word of God. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And church, let me encourage you, every single time you read this passage, again, you may have memorized this, because I memorized that passage a long time back in Sunday school or children's church. But every time we come across this passage, it causes or must cause us to stop and review our own lives. Amen. This is what it means to be a disciple. Am I being a disciple? Whoever wants to, another translation says, if you want to, please understand. It's not something that we are forced to do. It's a choice we have to make. If you want to do this, if you want to, whoever wants to, it's a choice you got to make, just as you made the choice to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you have got to make the choice to be a disciple. It's an open invitation, not something you're forced or dragged into. If you want to, whoever wants to, you have a choice. Discipleship is a choice. You have accepted the call of salvation, but now you have got to make the decision to be or the choice to be a disciple. It's those who are willing to live according to His will and not their own. It's for those who are willing to choose to obey Him and His word rather than follow their own desires. It's for those who choose to be selfless rather than selfish. It's for those who choose to put the needs of others ahead of the needs for themselves. That's what discipleship is all about. And here's the three requirements if you want to put it there. Number one, deny himself. Deny himself. You won't find an article in the Times Magazine anytime, any soon, soon that talks about denying yourself. You're not going to find it on 
in the Washington Post or whatever. Any popular, any of those millions of popular self-help books never teach us to deny ourselves. Yet Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to what? Deny yourself. You will never find, and I was thinking about this, you will never find a billboard that tells you deny yourself. You will never find an ad on television. You'll never see one that says deny yourself because what? They make their money by telling us that we have something, that we don't have something that we really ought to have when we really don't need it, right? They cater to us and make us want something for our own selves. But here's what discipleship is all about. Denying yourself. Denying yourself. That is what the world teaches us, but that is not what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is saying no to yourself. No to what I want. It's saying no to himself, no to what he wants. It's saying no to your own rights. Now that's a crazy thing in today's world right now. He's asking you to give up your own rights and to pursue or not pursue, to put someone else's rights ahead of you. No. That's not what this world is about. We've been taught from day one to fight and stand for our rights, but here Jesus says, deny yourself. Give up that right. Are we willing to give up our rights so that Christ is glorified in our lives? This is the way I encourage you to visualize this for a minute. Denying yourself is this, and think about this picture in your own head. There's a throne in your life. Can you get off the throne and allow Christ to be on that throne in your heart? That's what it means to deny yourself. Because on that throne is either you or your Savior. You have got to make the choice, not me. Him on the throne of my life. Deny yourself. Take a moment to look back at your life this past year. Has Christ been truly enthroned in your life? Deny yourself. Take up His cross. And He adds the word daily. Man. Take a, your cross daily. The cross is a symbol of death. I mean, and you got to realize totally repulsive and, and offensive to people around back then. Correct? I mean, it's, it's equivalent to us putting pictures of, you know, the electric chair all over our house. How many of us would do that? No, we wouldn't, right? Yet in that cross, we have hope. And yet we are called to take up our, take up His cross daily. Take up that cross daily. Amen. Deny ourselves and take up. The cross, the cross again, again, the imagery is the most barbaric, the most shameful and humiliating experience that man could have ever thought of back then. Yet he says, as a disciple, you got to go through that. That humiliation, that shame. Are we willing to do that? Because that's the cost of discipleship. Spiritually speaking, the cross represents a deliberate decision to abandon one's own desires and willing to take on God's desires, no matter what the consequence that decision is going to make. Let me say that again. 
is that willingness to abandon our desires and to take God's desires and to live with the consequences no matter what happens. That's what discipleship and taking up the cross really means. Doesn't matter what's going to happen. I will pick up that cross daily. I will pick up that cross daily because I desire His desire. My desire is His will. Let's be honest. We have people in churches and, you know, their life's goal is to pursue and fulfill their own desires. And not necessarily bad things. Let me say it's not necessarily bad things at all. But that's why we get jealous when someone else gets promoted and someone else gets blessed, right, sometimes? That's why we get easily offended when someone else asks us to give up our rights so that someone else can be blessed. That's why it's suffering and being inconvenienced is such an annoyance because why? It's all about us sometimes. All because we can't do what we want to do and it frustrates us so much that we compromise what it means to be a disciple. I don't know, I'm just putting thoughts out there. But we need to stop thinking that way because real discipleship is totally the opposite. Real discipleship means real death to ourselves. Real death to ourselves. And this has, and let me, let me say, this challenges me a lot has challenged me a lot in these past few years because this is such a, you present this part of the gospel to people and people don't want anything to do with it. It's kind of crazy. I mean, who would want to be a follower of Jesus Christ if this is what it really means, that I don't get to do what I want to do? Why would I want to follow Christ if it's not about me and only about what Jesus wants. I think that's the reason there are so few real disciples. There are a lot of people in church, but there are very few disciples. Real disciples. And like I said, this has been so frustrating for me as a pastor over the past few years. Because for some reason, popular Christianity has dominated real discipleship. Let me say that again. Popular Christianity has just overpowered real discipleship. And I've asked myself this question several times through the years. Was the gospel that Jesus preached attractive? Think about that. Was the gospel that Jesus preached attractive? Yes, thousands followed him. I mean, the signs and the miracles that he did, yes, all the fall fanfare attracted thousands of people but when he really preached his message they walked away please understand me here I'm not opposed to the benefits and the blessings of following Christ but please please understanding please understand this denying yourself and taking up your cross stands at the center of what it means to follow Christ you're going to be like those people you know they love the they love the feeding of the 5,000 right they loved all the miracles he did and they followed him everywhere he went because, hey, let's see what he's going to do next. But when he really said, hey, drink this blood and eat this flesh, they walked away. When they said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, they walked away. But that lies at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. Now let's ask you the question. 
Is that the gospel you choose to live by every single day of your life? Is that the gospel you're willing? Please, again, I'm not opposed to the benefits we enjoy as Christians, as believers. I'm not opposed to that at all. But please understand, denying yourself, taking up your cross lies at the heart and the center of discipleship. And if you are unwilling to do that, quit playing the discipleship game. Harsh. That's what it's about. Because many will say, Lord, Lord, right? It's not a broad way for everybody to go through. It is a straight and narrow way. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is challenging to be a real disciple. Now, are you willing to count the cost? You can know the cost, but are you willing to pay the price to be his disciple? Please understand, discipleship is not a call to perfection. Because I fail miserably. It's not a call to perfection, but discipleship is a call to be willing to constantly deny myself take up my cross and follow him no matter what anyone else has to say. Church, we need daily reminders of this sometimes in our lives because we make it about ourselves so easily. Follow him, it simply means to imitate him, to be like him. To follow him simply means, hey, I want to be like him. I want to be transformed into his likeness. And as you follow him, there is risk, there is pain, there is suffering, and yes, there is even death. That's why I said there's a lot of Christians, but a real shortage of real disciples. Because we know the cost, but are unwilling to pay the price. I don't think God pays attention, and and I say this in humility, but... I don't think God pays much attention, or let me put it this way, He doesn't count on those who don't count the cost of what it means to be a real disciple. And what I have noticed, again, is that a lot of people who want enough of Jesus that makes them respectable, but they don't want too much Jesus that makes them uncomfortable. We want just enough of Jesus so we feel good about ourselves, but we don't want so much Jesus that it makes us uncomfortable. Because the self still is in the middle of it all. If you are not willing to lay it all down at the foot of the cross, I would encourage you to examine your life, your walk with the Lord. I would encourage you again to ask the question, why you follow Christ? If you aren't willing to lay it all down, yes, there's kicking, yes, there's screaming, yes, there's a fight, but if you aren't willing to ultimately lay it all down, at the foot of the cross, you can ask yourself, or you need to ask yourself, why am I following Christ? Now think about it. I have this career, you know, I have this amazing house, and, you know, I'm doing well, I'm getting this next promotion and everything else, you know, but somehow the Lord just quickens my spirit, and I know I have to just give it all up and go to some remote part in some remote part of the world and preach the good news. How willing am I to give that all up for him? Now, I'm not saying God is calling you to do that, but that's the challenge. Yes, and even for my own life, I think, yeah, they will be kicking. Yeah, they will be screaming. Yes, complaining, but I know at the end of it, I'll say, God, I'm willing to do it. It's a decision that I have made. 
that I have prayed a prayer, prayed a prayer many times. God, your will, not mine, be done. Turn with me to John, and we'll finish this up real quick. John chapter 1, uh, chapter 18, 1 through 11. We just read through it, and we understand the context. It's pretty intense. You've had the Lord's Supper. They get to Gethsemane where the battle is on. The real battle is on right here. John chapter 18. Jesus has passed through the Kidron Valley, and you've got to think about the Kidron Valley. Again, it's pretty amazing uh, if you think the context. The Passover is coming up, right? And the Passover, they, they estimate 250,000 animals were slaughtered in the temple. So there were rivers of blood flowing, right? And the Kidron Valley, I'm not joking, they probably blood was flowing through that valley through, too, right? He had to cross over all that. And it's kind of like a very intense scene that's happening here. Last Supper, you get to Gethsemane, and you run. people don't realize this. We know what's happened. Jesus has prayed, you know, we know all that. But people don't think about it this way. For Jesus, the battle wasn't fought on the cross. For Jesus, the battle was fought in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. The cross was just obedience to what a decision he had already made at, right. in the Garden. Mm -hmm. We don't think about that enough. The battle wasn't on the cross. The cross was just obedience to the decision he made. The battle was in the garden of Gethsemane where he prays, God, take this cup away if possible. Just if there is any other way, God, let it happen. But he says, what? At the end of it, your will, not my will be done. That's the cup. That's the cup he's talking about, doing the Lord's will. That's why he asked his disciples, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink, being willing to do God's will? That's the cup he wants us. Are we willing to drink as well? In the garden, we know the prayer. You see the heart. If you want to see the heart of what a disciple, should, a disciple really does is when he prays that prayer. God, it's all about your will, not my will. Your plan, not my plan. Church, the imagery of the cup just symbolizes the will of God. And our willingness to drink from the cup is the willingness to say, God, your will, not my will, be done. Of course, we know the cup included for Christ's death on that cross. Verse 3, it says, it's kind of interesting. They come to him with lanterns and torches and weapons. Why do they come to that? Because they expect a fight, correct? They don't realize the battle's already been won. There's no fight left. Now it's just obedience to what God wants him to do. Mm -hmm. Fight's already over, really. And they come to him, you know, the fight is over when he was willing to drink the cup that the Lord gave him. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so when he comes, they said, hey, who do you want? And knowing, I love verse 4, actually. Let me read verse 4, chapter 18, verse 4. It's kind of interesting because it just tells you how amazing God is. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him. That talks about God's omniscience, man. Amen. Jesus is omniscience. He knows everything that's going to happen. He goes out to them and he asks them, who do you want? And they say, Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, I am he. And of course, you know, when he says, I am he, they all draw back I mean, and fall down to the ground. It's kind of interesting, even that, that the picture of surrender, you know, if you think about it, if you are a wanted criminal, you're not going to go out there and ask the people who are here to arrest you, okay, who are you looking for? Right? 
And if you're the one coming to arrest people or take over or try and get a criminal, you're expecting what? The criminal's going to run, he's going to fight, he's going to argue, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. That's why they're armed to the teeth with whatever. Here's Jesus just standing there clearly because the battle's already won. The battle already has been done. And he stands there. This is who I am. And they fall down and I can see picture, picture Jesus' sense of humor. Oh, okay, let's help, let me help you up. Who do you want again, you know? He's at peace because the battle has already been won. The cross and the suffering is okay. It's tolerable. It's okay because the battle has been won when he decided to do the Lord's will. When he was willing to drink that cup. Church, you got to realize this. Discipleship kind of blends in here. So when you as a disciple are willing to do the Lord's will, it doesn't matter what the consequences are, you're still at peace. It may not be the happiest thing that's going to happen in your life, but you have this peace. You have this confidence. They've come in against him and he says, I am here. Do whatever you want me to do. Because why? I'm a real disciple. The disciple thing is not about me. It's about doing his will. And when I am totally sold out to doing his will, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me. Discipleship. You don't resist. You don't fight what happens when you're a real disciple. Because you know God's in control of your life. You know God is ultimately in control of your life. And again, you see what happens here in verse 10. As everything's happening, you see Peter comes out swinging, right? Peter comes out swinging, cuts this guy's, uh, you know, year off. And thinking about it, there are always going to be Peter moments in our life. Before we get angry with Peter, there are a lot of us who work in the flesh rather than the will of God. Because we fight. The will of God is what? To drink this cup, he says. But what does Peter do? He wants to do it his way. And there's a lot of Peter in all of us too as disciples. Where we want to do it our way. And let me put it this way. There are a lot of Peters who will come into your life who will stop you from drinking the cup that God wants you to drink from. I can tell you from my own life when I decided to be a pastor in India, and I don't say this to brag, but I say this in humility. There were a number of people who You want to do what? You want to do what? Be a pastor? Because a pastor in India sometimes is just, it's not a glamorous job at all. But you have got to be willing to take up that cross. And when you are willing to take up that cross and follow Christ, there will always be people who will come into your life who will question what you are doing. You want to be a Christian? Why? You want to serve Christ? Why? Man, are you crazy? There will always be people because they do not know what it means to know or follow the Lord's will. Even Christian, good, good, well-intentional people challenged me. Why do you want to go to Bible college now? There will always be people when you want to do God's will. There will always be people in your life who will try and discourage you from doing what God's will is in your life. But you've got to be willing to say, discipleship is not about me. It's doing what God wants me to do. And stick with it. Stick with it. It's pretty easy, like I said. But he tells Peter, hey, put away your sword. He kind of rebukes him. You know, It's like uh, one pastor uses this illustration. It's when your, your, your parent calls you with your middle name too. You know, Aiden Tanvir Charity. You know you're in trouble. I think that's exactly what happened to Peter back then. If Peter had a middle name, I don't know what it was, Simon, whatever, Peter. 
Put it away because what? You don't understand the Lord's will. This is God's will. I need to follow God's will. Get out of the way. Discipleship is following Christ all the way. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. Let me close with these, you know, these four points that I have that I got from another pastor. Please understand, discipleship involves breaking. Discipleship involves breaking. Number one, for every disciple, there's a purpose to be fulfilled. When you are called, when you are broken, there is a purpose that is fulfilled. And it's a purpose only you only you can fulfill. Please understand that. There is a purpose just because, let me tell you this, you discover your purpose when you decide to be a disciple. You don't discover your purpose when you accept Christ as your Savior. Difference between the two. Just because you accept Christ as a Savior, you will not discover your purpose. But when you decide and commit to being a disciple, you will discover the purpose God has for your life. When you decide to be a disciple, you discover your purpose. Please understand, when you decide to be a disciple, you are saying there is a cup. And I'm telling you, there is a cup that you need to drink. That cup is doing the willingness to do the Lord's will. When you choose to be a disciple and commit to doing that, there is a cup. There will be a point where you do not want to do it. You do not think it does not make sense. But you've got to come to that point and say, God, if possible, take it away. But if not, God, I want your will, not mine. If you commit to being a disciple, there will be a moment where you will have to choose to drink that cup. Third thing I want to point out is, very often that cup will include pain and suffering. For Jesus, that cup meant death on a cross, rejection and death on a cross. Let me tell you this, sometimes when you decide, not sometimes, every single time, when you decide, I don't think any one person can sit here and say, ever since I've been a Christian and decided to be a disciple, thing has been, you know, everything's been great. No. The decision to be a disciple will always include pain and suffering. But there's the fourth point right at the end. It is totally worth it because there is a price. Price has to be paid to gain a prize. Does it make sense? Play on words. A price has to be paid in order to gain a prize at the end of it all. There is a reward for discipleship. I just shared thoughts here, church. But look at yourself and examine your own life at this time. Are you willing? You have accepted or may have accepted and I trust that you have accepted Christ as your Savior. But this morning I want to ask you the question, have you been willing to drink the cup or are you willing to drink that cup? That cup is this. Surrender. God, your will, not my will be done. Amen. That cup includes pain. That cup includes suffering. That cup includes rejection. The cup includes being made fun of and ridiculed for your belief. It may include death, but are you willing to drink that cup? That's what discipleship is all about. Trust in God. Again, church, you, it challenges me because this is such a, 
I know we love the high-flying, you know, victorious Christian lives, but please understand that the heart of discipleship is the cross that we are called to bear. The cross is suffering. There's nothing glamorous about the cross that we have got to take up every single day. Yes, church, it's not... I don't think the gospel that Jesus preached was attractive. Yes, the signs and wonders. You know, you you do signs and wonders and you'll have people come from the woodwork come out to see what's happening here. But when he tells them, hey, you know what you got to do to follow me and be my disciple? They walk away. Let's not follow Christ just because of the benefits. Let's follow him because we're willing to take up and drink that cup. deny myself, take up that cross and follow Him. It's not a call to perfection because I fall way short. Discipleship is about the willingness to pray that prayer every single day. God, your will be done, not mine. you're willing to surrender to the Lord's will church nothing's going to catch you unaware by surprise when you're willing to surrender to God's will nothing's going to throw you off because you know you have this assurance that God knows what's best for me right now it may be unpleasant it may be unpopular Yes, sacrifice, and we hate that word. But it's your will, God. Today I have, with the best of my ability, presented to you once again the cost of what it means to be a disciple. And the question I leave with you is, are you willing to pay that price? As you walk out from this door, through these doors, Are you willing to pay that price? So I'll stand to our feet and worship the Lord from there.
Lord, this morning we come to you once again, Lord. We surrender it all to you again, God. We know the cost, God, but give us the strength to be willing to pay the price. Let us not run away from the cup that you have for each and every one of us, Lord. Yes, Lord, following you may not be popular, may not be the coolest thing to do. All it might give me or get me is rejection. But Lord, we're willing to pay that price, God. I pray, God, that this morning that we will commit to that, Lord. This, this season, oh God, of as we meditate and focus on the cross, Lord, just as you were willing, oh God, to say your will be done, not mine. I pray that you give us the strength, oh God, to make that same prayer, Father. Your will be done in my life, not my will. Help me, oh God, to make it about you and not me. As I follow you, God, as I desire you, oh God, I desire your will in my life. Yes, God, we just commit ourselves to that once again. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our families. Be glorified in this church. To you and you alone be all praise, all glory and honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. God bless you guys.